here we are. So, welcome everybody to week two of what we're calling Forgotten Virtues. Last week, we talked about the forgotten virtue of honor. We are looking to be people who are looking for opportunities to offer honor to people kind of in general. We do that because of the view that God has for us. He made us in His image. And He thought that we were worth enough that He sent Jesus to this place. He left the right hand of God the Father and came to earth to live as we lived, to be betrayed, to be frustrated, to be lied about, to be hungry, to be tired, to stub his toe, to smack his thumb with a hammer. He was oppressed by a system that feared him. They tortured him. They killed him. And knowing all that, all that was going to occur, he came anyways for you. For me. He treated us with honor. And so that is why we treat others with honor. But today, let's get started with our forgotten virtue today of purity. Purity is being free of contamination. So, therefore, uh, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. One night, when Merlin was much younger, I'm talking about you, Merlin, just so you know, uh, he did what many young children unthoughtfully do. He got sick at night. But he decided it would be a good idea to feel sick in the night from the top Bunk. And so disoriented, I stumble over to him, a knight in shining armor rushing to his knee. Not so much uh, shining armor as a white t-shirt, but I came nonetheless. And for the sake of interest, just for interest, let me inform you that earlier in that evening, we had enjoyed a fine spaghetti dinner. I arrived. Merlin was kneeling on the bed and hanging on the rails overlooking the ground. And with my laser-like dad vision, I quickly discerned that he was going to be ill. In a flash, I grabbed him from bed, and with the speed and agility of a jungle cat, I made my way out the door across the living room that was covered in a nice white carpet. We did not make it across that white carpet before the deed was upon us. Merlin had shifted in my arms and he was curled there, his side against me, his face profiled against my chest. Uh, he had enjoyed that spaghetti dinner the previous <laughs> night and had perhaps had one or two extra helpings. And it all began to stream forth with extreme prejudice. But because you are a dad, you have dad superpowers. So without thinking I knew what to do, I graciously accepted the gift that I was being given. I grabbed the bottom of my shirt and curled it up to gather and collect as much of the streaming sick as I could manage. I pressed my arms tightly against my sides to allow none to drip on the floor. I cupped 
my hands to support the wretchedly stinking spew. No drips. The mission was clear. No drips on the white carpet. All this is happening in a matter of seconds. I got him to the bathroom and I stepped immediately into the bathtub and I allowed him to continue his evacuation. <laughs> in retrospect, I knew that in that moment, I was not pure. Pure in intention, perhaps. Pure in protecting the beautiful, beautiful white living room carpet, but no longer personally pure. Now just imagine how much worse it would have been if I had hair. But I was covered, <laughs> dripping, stinking, vision impaired because my glasses did not escape being sullied by my young son. And if I were to have anticipated this moment, I surely would have never had any children. But oddly enough, in that moment, it all made sense. Every decision had been made and was made with a reason, and they were all made without regret. The regret, however, did begin to appear. I was no longer pure. Cheryl had mess in the bathroom, and uh, she took over the immediate care and disrobing of the patient. I took care of starting the shower, and I enjoyed perhaps one of the most gratifying showers that I have ever had. I was on a mission, because that impurity was all over me. It impacted me in all kinds of ways. Now, who here is germaphobic? Right? Anyone? You just gotta wash your hands? Alright? You wanna kinda wash your hands right now just because of the story? You feel like you need to get that off you? If you're not a germaphobe, you have met one. Right? I think we've all met one. We all know one. You know, you see them more and more that we have hand sanitizers that appear in all kinds of different shops. They're at the cash at so many stores that check out while you're there, squirt, squirt, and there you go. It's, it's, uh, it's just this funny. <laughs> Nobody wants to get sick. And we got hit by the SARS crisis and we have not forgotten it. So now they make hand sanitizers uh, kind of like a fashion statement. You can get fashion holders to clip on your bag. You can buy multiple scents and, and multiple colors. You want to make them look good. Because none of us wants to get sick, right? I'm with you. I don't want to get sick either. So if we can avoid it, why not avoid it, right? Why let ourselves get put into it? We know from science now that germs can make you sick, and so we should avoid them. Nobody wants to be sick because it's not fun. Faking sick, well, that can be fun. Faking sick that helps us to stay out of, uh, out of school can be fun, right? But what about in our spiritual life? Are there things that can make us spiritually sick or uh, spiritually weakened? What, what, can, what about the contaminants that sort of float around us or the ones that we choose to float in? See, our, our selfish, our sinful actions are sticky. They stick to us even when we think that we are clean. It's like serving your kids pancakes and syrup. You believe the syrup stayed on the plates. You believe you wiped it all up. 
You believe that there is none on you. And then you find a sticky spot on the counter, right? And then you find there's a sticky spot on the inside of one of your fingers. And then you discover it's, it's on your wrist. And then it's on the back of my neck. How did it get to the back of my neck? None of you, maybe it's just me. Like I'm the only one who finds syrup everywhere. It's just one of those consequences, right? The consequences of selfishness or our sin have a way of appearing in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. It was no big deal, right? It didn't even really bother me. The terrible thing is that like germs, sin, even when you think it is invisible, even when you think it is small, even when you think that it is insignificant, it's no big deal, can still lead to death. It can still lead you there, even if you think it's just silly. Even if you think that this is just a big overreaction. So we're immersed in a culture that is completely cool with self-diagnosis. I'm fine, right? You're fine too, right? Because if you're not fine, then maybe I'm not fine, and I definitely want to be fine. How are you today? I'm Fine, thank you. As we are all in this world that is fine, why do we keep making, why do I, why do people like me keep making everything such a big deal? It's, it's not hard to adapt to the prevailing standard. Well, well no, I mean, of course I'm not perfect, right? But who is? I'm doing pretty good. And I'm certainly not as bad as, and we've got our finger pointing, right? You heard this standard? It certainly has been prevalent in this election season. We're all searching for a standard, a favorable standard that we want to be compared to. And unfortunately, the standard that matters has nothing to do with your neighbors. And the standard has nothing to do with your parents. It has nothing to do with your friends. It has nothing to do with your enemies. It has nothing to do with that person in history who's way worse than you. Comparison is always a trap. And we dare to compare it to others. And as we do, we either feel miserable because we don't measure up, we're not good enough, or perhaps worse, we feel self-satisfied. See, I'm better than her. But look, the God standard is like way over here. It's a total different level of purity than what we're talking about. And even the, the man of God, Isaiah, he saw this, he knew this, and when he saw the Lord, he gained a new understanding. There was a new, bold perspective that just appeared on the scene that couldn't be avoided. It says, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is there and he's caught. He sees it all before him. He's in there and instantly he sees the standard. He says, woe to me. I'm ruined. For I'm a man. I'm a clean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The true standard was revealed and it was over. Overwhelming. Isaiah did not measure up. He was not doing okay. He was not fine. 
So why have we forgotten as a culture? Why, why are we way over here? God's standard is way over here. Why is there this huge gap in the middle? And I think it's because we have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we are and who we have been called to be. See, if, if you know who you are, you're going to know what to do, right? Just like, just like super dad knew what to do. Parents, when you're around and you have a baby, you hear the baby crying, you know, oh, I can identify that crying. Baby needs something right now. Baby, baby needs to get fed because you're the mom. You're the papa. You know that your baby needs something. So you go to that baby. You check on that baby. Is it the food? Is it the other? Uh, you find out why they're crying. Maybe they're hurt. Maybe you need to go to the medicine cabinet and get the magic band-aid out that's going to make it okay. Because you are the parent. When the cry comes, you know what to do. When you have a teenager who's starting to drive, you're the parent. So what do you do? You're the parent. So you start to pray. That's what you do. You pray, and you pray hard. So when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Remember who you are, and you are a child of God, a believer, a Christian, a Christ one, called by his name. Do you know who you are, not about who you are? And I think we need a revelation. Uh, of, of who we are, because quite oftentimes we know up here, I, I know words, I know Christian answers that I can spew back at. I know I'm a child of God, Parents says it all the time, I'm a child of God. And that's sort of a thing, but you need to have new eyes to see who you are in Christ. And that completely changes everything. And where do we get a perspective like that? Well, let's look at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends who were in the city of Ephesus. It says, Christ chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. As believers, you are a new creation. And I don't know about you, but when I uh, have something that is new, I want to protect it and keep it clean and keep it pure. I don't want you walking on a brand new shoes, right? When you are a new creation, the old is gone and we have to keep the old gone, that old staying gone, because unfortunately, this is a real challenge, because the old, it wants to, the, the dead man, my former nature, my old self wants to keep rising again, resurrecting like a zombie, but we are chosen by God, we are loved, we are the masterpiece of God, we are adopted children chosen by God. Now consider that image when we think of purity, that we are called the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. When you know who you are, you're going to know what to do. So what does a bride do? The bride is on a mission, is she not? She's preparing herself for a wedding. And the same is true for the groom. There is a calling to preparation. We need to be on mission, preparing ourselves. And at the same time that she is preparing and she is planning and she is enjoying a relationship that's intimate with the groom. A bride knows what to do. She is loyal. She is faithful to her groom. So why do we go out and contaminate ourselves as brides and allow things into our lives that are not pure? 
Jesus' good friend John, he describes it this way. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. We, we are not our own. Um, when you are a Christian, when you are a believer, your life is not your own anymore. It's not just your choice. You were purchased by the blood of Christ, and now you are not the same. You have a call on your life that is not your own. It is for Him and His glory. And what is God's, what is true, His ultimate call of us, this is where we get down to a purity really is your calling is to be like Him. The longer that I'm married to Cheryl, Cheryl, I'm going to talk about you, uh, it's coming up to 23 years in December. That's December 28th. Write that down. Congress at December 28th. The more that we're together, the more we become alike. And we're very different people in terms of gifts, in terms of strengths, and even in our temperaments. But we have similar thoughts now. We have a similar humor, much to your unfortunate so, uh, we have a like-mindedness. We use the same phrases because we have spent time together. Lo, these many years, there is a faithfulness, there is a commitment to one another. We love each other, we enjoy fellowship with one another, and we grow to become more and more alike. So as you spend your time, and you share your time, what are you becoming more similar to? Are you becoming alike, more alike to Jesus, our bride? Are our eyes fixed on Him? Are we living out our call to become like Him? Are you growing in similarity to Jesus or to the world? Who are you becoming? What are you becoming like, mortal, considerably adding characteristics from? Are you looking more and more like your bridegroom? Because Christ is our standard of purity. And we are in Him, and we are called to be like Him. So it's not enough just to compare yourselves to Miss Next Door Neighbor or Mr. Celebrity, or uh, we need to look at Christ. Christ is our standard. We need to be eyes out, right? The author of Hebrews, he describes this pursuit beautifully. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him endured the cross, Scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who made it, and he makes it right. He is our Savior. He is our healer. He is our coming King. He is our sanctifier. He is the pure of fire. We cannot do it. Get your eyes off yourself. There are so many trying to just will it, trying to do it on their own strength. If I just try a little harder, if I read another book, purity doesn't come like that. If you compare to yourself, it's just on your own, you're bound for failure. You have already been made pure, but your calling is to cooperate, to work in partnership with God to become holy. Jesus said, he had another good friend, Peter, and Peter said it like this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Not just in some things that you do, but in all you do. So it's not just like on Sunday morning, I came and I kind of, I kind of got my holy on, and then I'm going to go back. It is our calling to be holy, set aside for, dedicated to the service of, designed specifically for relationship with. That's what holiness means. It's not some, holiness is not some uh, sort of robotic, 
perfection life. It's a living, breathing choice to submit ourselves on an ongoing basis, to be in relationship with Jesus, to be in partnership with him, and to allow things to no longer to interfere with or to compete with his calling. And I personally can't do this, right? Jesus is with me, Jesus is in me, and I allow his word, I allow his spirit to transform me. He will do things in me, and he has. God has been the one that has been faithful as I have looked to him as to be my source for my help, to be my strength. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctifier. What's that path forward look like, though? What does the next step of this road trip look like for you? How do you check a map to see if you're on the right path? So I want you to listen to Paul again. And this time he's, he's writing a letter to, uh, to Rome, the church in Rome. And I find this to be one of the most helpful, most inspirational guiding passages. I come back to it again and again because each time I do, it seems to mean something new again. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Who doesn't want to know the will of God? But don't be formed. Don't be conformed to the world. Instead, be transformed. Renew your mind. It's a calling. It's your calling. This is a portion of what the partnership that we have with God looks like. When you renew something, you're making it new, right? You're making it as it should be. Be. So when you're doing that, once it's where it should be, don't you want to protect that renewal? So as you renew your mind, you can't at the same time go about contaminating it again and again. It just makes no sense. And I know that we live in a culture that just, well, everywhere you go, you're just bombarded. You step outside your door and you're just bombarded with different brands of immorality. Heck, you can stay inside your house and be bombarded with options. It's everywhere. But the, the, the impurity and the temptations, they come from everywhere, from every direction. But you have to learn to guard yourself, to avoid some things. You have to practice protecting your purity. It's not going to just be this thing where, where God comes in one day and we're, we're, our minds are renewed. We're transformed one day. And then you just let it be. You just let it all go. That was once. It was done. I'll never have to do that again. You have to guard it. You have to protect it. You have to come back to that place. Start it again. You need to keep being transformed. It's an ongoing and a renewing process. In your heart, we have to train ourselves to be God. We are called to cooperate, to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And now James, James is the brother of Jesus. He understands there's complexity in living this thing out. He also understands the way that we work and the excuse systems that we build. So what he said was, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen this morning and then walk out the door and figure this task is done, check, I don't have to go back and do it again. Don't just listen to the word. When you read your Bible, do what it says. There's no magic in the reading. It will bring life to life abundant when we live it, when we are in earnest pursuit 
of Jesus. I used to be afraid that if I obeyed too much, that I would lose pleasure in my life. That's such a lie. It, it, it's a fear, and like most fears, it is a lie. It's just deceiving. But you end up gaining. You end up gaining peace. You end up gaining joy. You end up gaining life that is really life. You end up gaining life abundant. And this is the miracle of trust in God, of faith in God. When you trust God, when you take Him at His word, and you do as He asks you to do, when you trust Him and you cooperate, He will make you holy. And that has nothing to do with being holier than that, right? He sanctifies you. He will journey with you to that level of purity that you would never imagine possible. If you cooperate, if you renew, if you protect, you will become increasingly like Christ. And I haven't arrived yet, but the date is set for that to be completed. When I die. And until then, with eyes up, I run in pursuit of Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Hebrews, let me give you a little bit more of that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and trips me up. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Throw it off. Leave it behind. I'm going to throw off everything that hinders me. I'm going to throw off every sin that is trying to entangle me and trip me up, that causes me to think negative thoughts, and I'm going to run the race to win. That's what we've got to do. Not only because the sin that we're involved in can do us great damage, because there's always a price with sin. Not everything is beneficial. Things that are not beneficial can actually be of great detriment. Those things will continue to pop up. New options will arrive. The transformation is not going to happen if we refuse to cooperate. So, are you cooperating? Are you conforming to the world's standard? Are you there in insecurity out of desperation to be loved? I know what it's like to want to be loved like that. Did you just decide that you're going to compromise because you want love so badly, that you need attention so badly, and you are comparing yourself to everyone else? Have you lost focus on your first love? Has it become too hard to keep your eyes on the groom, Jesus? Our eyes must go back to be on the bridegroom, and our heart must be looking to him and not to the world. So are you cooperating? Are you trusting in the one who loves you so deeply that he gave his life for you? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Kind Father, I pray that this message would uh, just go down deep into us, down into our spirit. 
Guide us to live on mission with a new revelation that we are your beloved. And you are the one who makes us pure. Father, thank you that you are the living water that washes away my sin, removes it, and makes me whiter than snow. To all who call on your name, God, you forgive our sins, and you remove them as far as the east is from the west. Thank you. Thanks for your love that is immense in our lives. Father, this morning we again choose to put our eyes on you. In Jesus' name.